Hello everyone, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is brought to you by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org and by its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now let's turn to God's Word, asking that the Spirit might open our hearts to His instruction. Today we begin in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, and the title of our message is Bears in Bethel. It's an awful story, a story of chiding children and mean old bears and maybe an angry prophet. But there's more to it than that, as we'll learn today. We read Psalm 73 this morning. Psalm 73 is kind of an interesting passage. We're going to be not referring to Psalm 73, but we're going to be speaking in a sense about a, a, an interesting species connected to Psalm 73, and that is the misinterpretation of the grace of God. And in the passage we're going to look at, we'll see that individuals misinterpret the grace of God as, in a sense, license or permission or a reason to be casual in their approach to God. They actually misinterpret the grace of God as a weakness in God, uh, an idea that God is not holding them to account and will not hold them to account. But the fact is that the follower of Jesus Christ, or the one who wants to follow God and obey God, can also misinterpret the grace of God when he sees God graciously forbearing the sins of individuals and not bringing upon them immediate judgment, and instead allowing them to experience good things in life. And they can interpret that as somehow an idea that God is not just and that God is not carrying forth his justice. And Psalm 73 is a correction to that. This idea that, well, then it's not worth my time and my effort to seek to honor God and please God if God is just good to those who are not seeking to honor Him and who are denying Him and look at all the good things they experience. And it's not true. God will hold them to account. God's goodness and God's grace is being poured over them, but God is keeping track of all these things. And it's what we'll learn to some extent as well. Don't misinterpret God's grace in your life and don't misinterpret it when God is being gracious to those who are living in defiance of Him. God's goodness is still at work. And God's justice is not forgotten. We'll be reminded of this in this passage we look at here. And the sermon of the title is Bears in Bethel. I couldn't think of a good title for this message. You'll get the idea. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. This is speaking of Elisha. And this is just after Elisha has received this position as the prophet of God and gone to, on to Jericho, and from Jericho he's gone on to Bethel. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. I have to preach on this, you realize? <laughs> you know, I thought about what oftentimes is this gets slipped into all the other information. Some guys usually, they just kind of give an aside to that while they preach on other passages around it. I thought, you know, I'm not going to dodge this one. We're going to address it. And so Elisha is arriving in Bethel after God has recently elevated him to be the head of all the prophets of Israel. Elisha's first act after having received the mantle of Elijah is to come to the Jordan River that Elijah had previously with him crossed. Remember Elijah came to the waters of the Jordan River and he struck those waters and they divided and they went in one direction the other direction and, they, and Elijah and Elisha walked across and across on the other side. 
Elijah is drawn up into heaven by a chariot of fire, and Elisha remains. The mantle of Elijah falls to him. He places the mantle upon his shoulders, walks back to the Jordan River, takes the mantle off, rolls it up, strikes the water, cries out, where is the God of Elijah? In other words, God, I need you as much as Elijah needed you to carry on your work, and the assignment you've given me, and the water's part. Elijah goes across. He comes to the cross, and he goes to the city of Jericho, which is on the other side of the Jordan River. And Jericho is this cursed city. And Jericho has recently been rebuilt. And in the rebuilding of this city, there has been judgment that continues to remain on the people. It's been a vacant city for over 500 years. It's just been rebuilt within probably 40 to 50 years of this time. And yet the waters of Jericho are still impure. There's something sulfuric in them that brings a lack of health to the people and it's not bringing health to the agriculture. The men of the city recognize the miraculous power that's upon Elisha. They come to Elisha, ask Elisha if he would help them and heal their waters. Elisha gives them some instructions to bring salt, full of salt, and he pours salt into the spring and the waters are healed. Just a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the meaning of all that. That salt was always brought before God and every sacrifice that was made before God was seasoned with salt. And assault was expression of the purity that God gives. And assault was an expression of the preservation God gives the one who comes to him. And salt also was a very meaningful expression for people in that day of fellowship that they enjoyed together. In fact, when they were particularly close with an individual and he had near fellowship with that individual, they would say that they shared salt together. And so all the people of Jericho gathered their precious salt, not like the kind of salt we have today, it was wonderful, and it was flavorful, and they all put a little bit of salt in this bowl and gave it to Elisha, and Elisha throws it into the waters of this poison spring or this bitter spring, and it becomes sweet, and the water becomes good, and the city of Jericho, which had lived under a curse for over 500 years, is now a city that's living under a blessing. And from there, Elisha goes on to Bethel, and it's in Bethel that he's greeted by a band of mocking, deriding young lads or young men. Young boys is really the right word, and they're following along and their chanting includes an unflattering reference to Elisha's premature baldness. And Elisha responds with a curse in the name of the Lord and in answer to the curse, immediately two female bears come out of the woods and maul 42 of these young lads. It's hard not to be aghast at the image of young boys being torn apart by two bears in response to a prophet's curse at their insult of his follically challenged head. It becomes a bit of a problem for us. I could kind of appreciate the fact that he didn't like their insults. but So what individuals do when they come to this passage, there's a tendency to look at this passage and approach it like it's some kind of folk tale or some kind of fable with a metaphorical morality story on good behavior. And so when you read some of many of the different commentators, they'll tell you that the scene and its lessons and the applications to the scene are... Lessons in, for example, that little boys shouldn't be rude and disrespectful. But this is not a folk tale, a morality story on how children should respect their elders. And this isn't a, a warning against a growing juvenile delinquency either. It isn't an example of how hurtful insults can be to those who have flaws in their appearance. Elijah is not an insecure person with a poor self-esteem because of his premature baldness. And this is not even an account that's recorded to underscore the importance of good parenting and watching over your children. And it's certainly not 
an account or a story that's told to us to warn us against rash utterances of oaths and curses upon others. And by the way, all of those are different ways in which this passage is handled. And in my own study and research, these are the kinds of explanations that you find. Children, be respectful to elders. And parents, watch over your kids and take care of them and make sure the way you conduct yourself around them or they'll become a bunch of delinquents. Or you have to understand that this was a source of concern for Elisha and you can't be cruel and mean to others. But Elisha shouldn't have got lost his temper and been rash in his, in his oath against these children. Well, One, we know that Elisha didn't lose his temper here because Elisha walks on from that point and turns around in a rather self-contained manner and pronounces this curse against him. Now there is a suggestion that I think is closer to the truth, uh, and that is the main point of the story is to teach people to treat their minister or the preacher of God's word with utmost respect. (laughs) I want you to think about that. I think this may be it. This is to teach you to learn to treat your pastor better so that it doesn't put a curse on you. No, I I don't think that's an application to the story as well, although it's one of the applications that's made by one of the different commentators that I read. So what is the application to the story? What does it mean? For us to understand that, let's come to terms first with the timing of this event, and then let's kind of understand the location or understand it in terms of the location of this event. And first, let's look at the timing of this event. I've already spoke about it to you a bit in this introduction. Elisha has seen Elijah go up in a chariot of fire. In that moment, God has transferred to Elijah the calling and the spiritual endowments that were upon Elijah as he spoke as a man of God before the nation of Israel. And Elisha now leads in this position. You'll remember before Elijah is taken up that Elijah and Elisha visit a school of prophets that's in the city of Bethel. And from there, they go on to Jericho and they meet with other young prophets who are in studying and learning to preach and represent God and the voice of God among their land in Jericho. And I think it's likely to understand that the prophets in Bethel went along with them and followed along with them when they went to Jericho. And then in Jericho, these all went and followed along with them until they came to a bluff before Elijah and Elisha went down onto the plain of the Jordan and crossed the Jordan River. And the Bible actually says there were 50 of them at that point in time that watched as Elijah and Elisha crossed over. And they'll be there again when Elisha comes back over the Jordan by himself. They'll see Elijah part the waters and come back across those waters himself. And I think it's also very likely that these 50 likely saw something of the tempest or the whirlwind that came on the other side that swept Elijah away. Actually, right after this, we're told that these 50 prophets surmise that it's possible that God took Elijah up only to transport him to another place and so they beg Elisha to let them go over the Jordan to search for Elijah and finally Elisha lets them do it and they they don't find the body of Elijah and they return back and realize that Elisha indeed is now the one who stands before them as their leader and those prophets of Bethel would have returned to Bethel before they returned to Bethel they also would have been in Jericho when immediately the people of Jericho came out of the city, recognizing what had happened to Elisha, and asked Elisha to heal the waters of their city. And Elisha responds with this wonderful miracle in which he brings healing to the city. And so the event in terms of timing is, Elisha has been established as the prophet of God, and Elisha has gone into Jericho, and he's brought an end to a curse that's upon the city of Jericho. And actually what's happening here is, 
Elisha in that one miraculous event is kind of establishing what his ministry is going to be to the people of Israel. His ministry is going to be a ministry in which he is an emissary of God presenting to the people of Israel God's great desire to bless the people of Israel. God's great desire to pour out goodness and grace upon them. And you'll see that Elisha will carry out many different miracles after this. And all these miracles are, to a large extent, are almost entirely expressions of the miraculous heart of God to bless the people of Israel if they'll repent and turn to him. And it begins with this, this wonderful miracle that's come upon Jericho, and it, it validates Elisha's leadership, but it also demonstrates what it is that Elisha wants to in the ministry that Elisha is going to carry to all the people. These prophets go back to Bethel from the school of the prophet in Bethel, and they tell the people in the city of Bethel what has taken place, and the people know what's happened, and they know the story. And actually, the chiding that takes place as Elisha is entering towards the city from the young children tells us that the children knew what had taken place to Elijah and Elisha, and they were aware of it. And they know that Elisha is the one who's been designated now as the leader in the place of Elijah. And it's very likely then that the children learned it from the stories that were passed around the cooking fires in the homes in Bethel and the homes of their parents. Their taunt reveals that they have this knowledge. Basically, they're saying, go up to heaven like Elijah did. Let's see you go up, you bald head. Go up, bald head, go up. They're actually just expressing whatever spirit and whatever attitude was in their homes and the reaction to the news of all that Elisha had done. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism. To learn about our work around the world, go to traincpe.org. To learn more about our work locally, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.